Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real conversations that celebrate how being different can make all the difference. And man, do we have an episode about that for you today. We're sponsored by our friends at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. And while you're there, you'll be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Check out netsuite.com slash different. I also want to tell you about a new handbook on how to design a legendary career by my friend Isaac Morehouse. It's called Crash Your Career. And I would encourage you to go to crash.co slash different. And while you're there, you'll be able to get a, a free preview of this awesome new book. And I even wrote the foreword to it, crash.co slash different. On this episode, I've been dying to share this with you uh, ever since we taped this conversation, a powerful dialogue about the learning difference dyslexia with the host of a podcast called Dyslexia is a Superpower. I love the name of the podcast and I love this gal. Her name is Gibby Booth Jasper. She's fantastic. We have a fun, informative, no BS conversation about what it's like to have dyslexia, the pros and the cons, but a heavy focus on the pros. And if you have dyslexia, ADHD, uh, dyscalculia, executive function, um, disorder or whatever they're calling it now, or any other learning difference, I think you're going to love this episode. And even if you don't, if you love somebody who has something like this uh, or work with somebody who's got dyslexia, um, I think this is going to be a very eye-opening conversation because many people look at dyslexia as a disability or some kind of a disadvantage. Um, Gibby, other than doing her podcast, is also an advocate and a coach for people with dyslexia. And she, like I, have a very different point of view about um, the value of being dyslexic, the power of having a different mind. And um, I think different people with different minds do very cool and innovative and creative things. And so, for example, here are some famous dyslexics that you may or may not know. Uh, Richard Branson, Whoopi Goldberg. John F. Kennedy, George Washington, Agatha Christie, John Lennon, Leonardo da Vinci, Jennifer Aniston, Walt Disney, Cher, Albert Einstein, Steven Spielberg, and Selma Hayek are all reported to be dyslexic or to have been dyslexic. And if you go to the show notes at lockhead.com, not only will you learn more about Gibby and learn where to find her on the web and her amazing podcast, we've also included an interview with Steven Spielberg on what it was like for him to discover he was dyslexic. Now, hey-ho, let's go. Gibby, it's so great to see you. Well, it's so great to be here. I'm so honored. Thank you so much. It's definitely, I can check it off my bucket list now. <laughs> with uh, As soon as the, uh, I got to know you and I got to listen to your show, it was, yeah, it's been on there. So thank you so much. Uh, well, I, I couldn't be more stoked. I, I love everything about what you're doing. I think you're fantastic. Uh, not to be overly corny, but you know, I fell in love with you when I met you and came on your podcast. I love the mission. And so, you know, tell me, why do you think uh, being dyslexic is a superpower. 
Well, I think it's, it's two-tiered. I think that there's a piece of it, just the fact that dyslexics look at the world and look at problems differently. And that is just awesome. It enables different solutions. It enables different things. You know, when I'm talking to kids and I'm trying to convince them that their brain is awesome and they're not dumb and that they're not stupid, I'll say things like, you know, look how, think how boring it would be if we all reach for the same exact crayon in the box, or we all only ate oranges, or we all, you know, only wore this color jeans or this type of shirt or whatever it was. And so I think that that's a a huge piece of it. It's just, it's so refreshing and wonderful that as a dyslexic, we see things differently. We connect dots differently. Um, and then, so that's sort of the one piece. And then the other piece of it is when you, it is much harder to do things that society has put so much sort of demand on, like the writing and reading and math and all that stuff. And when you actually achieve it and when you can write and when you can read and when you can do five times five, then, and you figured that out, it's sort of like, you know, everybody has to climb a mountain to sort of succeed. Well, with someone who's dyslexic, your mountain has lava that's falling down the side of it. And, you know, there's wild boars and there's, you know, a volcano and, you know, all this stuff. And you're having all these obstacles and you're having to go under some and over some and through this and all this stuff. And so when you finally get to the top, it, you are able to, to accomplish so much more. Um, and also the belief in yourself, like, oh, hey, like for me, when I graduated college, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, I made it through college. Every semester was like climbing fucking Mount Everest. And so I, when I finished, got to the top and I was like, yes. And I also was like, heck, if I can do that, think of all the things I can do. So I think that that's part of it too, is that the, the tenacity, the determination, um, you know, parents will often say to me, gosh, you know, my kid has to work so much harder. And I look at them and I say, yes, so? Um, and yes, of course, you know, we don't want a third grader doing eight hours of homework a night. But I do think that it definitely creates people who can go that extra mile and who go that extra mile without even thinking. And those are the people that create amazing things. I mean, we can look at so, so many famous dyslexics as an example. <laughs> I'm glad you don't have an opinion about that. <laughs> <laughs> Not <so>. at all. <laughs> you, you got know, me fired up from the beginning. <laughs> what I love, I mean, I just love the, your, your slogan, dyslexia is a superpower, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have been frustrated, to put it mildly, angry um, for years, decades, that um, well, of course, we don't want to be ignorant. There are some liabilities that you and I have that are very, very real and, and, and others, dyslexics and dys For sure. dyscalculia and people with executive function, you know, all these ADHD, a lot of this stuff tends to come together, right? And some of us anyway, but whatever we have, whatever these, these learning differences are, you know, there's a huge part of the world that still calls them learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, my understanding, and I'm not an education expert, maybe you'll tell me, but I think here in California and I think in a lot of the United States, for uh, dyslexic kids to get extra help, they have to be designated as having a disability or a disorder or some mm -hmm. other horrible mm -hmm. sounding name, right? And so there's this paradigm that it's a problem. And, mm -hmm. and, and look, I'm not suggesting that it doesn't come with some liabilities. It really does. 
However, as you and I both know, it is a superpower. And dyslexics are capable of things that other people aren't. And so you and I share a passion around um, sort of freeing dyslexics to own their superpower and educating the world that while it, there are some problems for sure when you have these learning uh, uh, differences, um, it's not a fucking disability. <laughs> and so all that said, you know, what are the things you want non-dyslexics to know about um, what it's like to be dyslexic? Yeah, well, I think the number one thing is that, you know, whenever you say the word dyslexic to someone who has no experience with it, they'll either, usually they'll say something like, oh, yeah, that thing where you, you flip, you know, letters or you read backwards or you can't read. And I think the, the number one thing that I'm sort of saying about this is like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> like, we totally have the wrong idea about this. And I like to give examples that, of, that my dyslexia shows itself that are not sort of, quote, unquote, fit into that reading backwards or um, trouble reading. For example, I used to have a ginormous phobia of gas stations. And the reason being was because um, for me, yes, gas stations. And I'll tell okay. you why. <laughs> why? <laughs> um, but um, it's because for me with my dyslexia, my spatial abilities are crap. And so I would, when I first started driving and I was given, you know, I had my license and I was driving by myself, I would w let the, the tank go down as low as possible because I was dreading having to go. And when it finally, when the light went on and, you know, the car is like flashing at me, like, I'm dying, please give me gas, I would finally go. And what would happen was I couldn't figure out if I could drive straight into a spot, it would work okay. But if... If I had to turn around or back up or anything like that, I could not figure it out. And I was mortified that somebody would laugh at me or tell me that, you know, that I, cause I felt stupid. So tell me that I was stupid or tell me that I didn't belong on the road. And so I would, if I couldn't pull up straight away to a gas station, I would flee that gas station and go to the next gas station. And then if it happened there, then it would, ha and sometimes this would happen three or four times before I could get to a gas station um, that I could pull right up to. And, uh, and so that's just an example of just not being able to, can okay. you parallel park? I can parallel park. Um, I, I think that because I, I just go back. I don't know. Like for yeah. some reason that makes you sense to my brain. Yeah. yeah. It's funny that that sort of spatial thing it sort of comes and goes for me. You know, sometimes it feels super easy and then sometimes backing into a parking spot feels like trying to, you know, fly to the moon. Uh, <laughs> and and I have, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I, I, I can remember one time, particularly in Palo Alto, um, um, parallel parking in a tight spot next to a crosswalk. And, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and cars everywhere. And so, mm -hmm. um, and I sort of had to do it two or three times. And it was in front of this cafe and there were these people sitting in the front of the cafe, you know, laughing at me that I couldn't parallel park. And oh. it took every fiber of my being not to walk into that cafe and beat the shit out of those people, right? I'm sure. You have no idea. You're going to laugh at somebody yes. who has a wheelchair trying to get up a fucking ramp. Go fuck yourself, right? Yes, but, uh, yes. But I digress. But I, yeah. No, actually, I think that's such a great point because that's sort of me with the gas station thing. It's like, you know, if you see someone in that kind of position, we tend to judge. We tend to laugh at them and not think, well, hang on a minute. Maybe they 
really can't figure this out. Um, and so I think that that's such a great, a great story and a great example. And so if I'm a parent or, you know, in my case, an uncle of a child who uh, I, you know, maybe we think is dyslexic or maybe just got diagnosed as such, you know, a kid in elementary school or maybe earlier middle school, you know, a younger kid. Um, Mm -hmm. What is the first thing you'd want me to know about being a great parent or being a great uncle uh, to a kid uh, in that situation? First of all, that nothing is wrong with your child. <laughs> like your child is now, it was um, someone on my podcast I interviewed a couple of weeks ago. She said to me, dyslexia is like, or, you know, being diagnosed as dyslexic is like being um, given your letter that you've just entered Hogwarts. And I just loved that. And I was like, yes. Um, and so first and foremost, nothing is wrong with your child. Your child is now, and I like to call them, you know, in this community of dyslexic superheroes. And, um, and so that, yes, I understand that it's scary. Yes, I understand there's a lot of unknowns and all that kind of stuff. And you want your child to succeed and all this stuff. But just knowing that um, the different, different is not bad. You know, society has latched on to this idea that someone who thinks differently or looks differently or is different or whatever is bad. You know, I found it so interesting. I was, um, when I was in high school, I was walking down the street and um, I was in front of these two girls about my age. And one of them said, oh, you know, look at that guy over there. And they pointed in this guy and he had crazy piercings and crazy tattoos. And it wasn't, you know, we all do this. We don't do it in a like, oh, wow, look how cool they are. It's like, oh, look, look at them. They're weird. Like they, you know, they do, they're doing all these things that we see differently and, and see negatively. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's just the biggest thing is that, is that it's not, it's not a death sentence. It's not this terrible thing. And then the other piece of it is that I think that some parents are really nervous about telling their child that they have dyslexia and how do I do it? And what do I say? And do I tell them I'm, I'm not going to tell them? And, and I really truly think that, um, it's something that they absolutely should know. Um, but that, you know, spun in a really positive way, shown other dyslexics. I mean, that's one of the main reasons why I'm so public about me and my stories, because when I was growing up, there wasn't, ironically, I actually knew people who were dyslexic, but they weren't out, you know, out about it. And so they, I had no idea. And um, it would have meant so much to me knowing like, oh, hey, I'm not alone. It's not just me. Like, look at you, you're dyslexic and look at all the success you've made. So that was sort of the, you know, huge part of me, me doing the podcast and me sharing my story. And, And thank you for doing it. You know, it's something that I didn't realize. I, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I was very busy doing my life and, you know, <laughs> being a marketing guy and all, all that stuff. And it was really, uh, I, I sort of only tuned into sort of um, this dyslexia topic after my first book came out. Uh, I've always been fairly open about it, but not like, you know, screaming about it. But <laughs> I, I, it look, it's something that for many of us, particularly in a work scenario or other scenarios as well, it's hard. Let me say it this way. Life's a lot easier if you're open about it. So when you're out at dinner, you know, if you're paying and you're me, well, guess what? I can't calculate the tip. Oh, me neither. The shit up, okay. <laughs> so yep. I'm going to need some help with that. Right. 
And, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past. You, 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 you made me feel so much better when you said to me one of the number one things that creates anxiety for dyslexics is filling out a form in public. Yes. It's also why, like, at Target, that self-checkout shit. Oh. Do you have that? That's like a that's a that's a horror oh, show for me. It is. Me too. I refuse to go to it. I always go to a person. <laughs> or or when you're in another country and you got to deal with other money, like I can barely deal with our money. Yeah. Right. And now you're in like Italy or Japan or somewhere, and you're trying to like I can't. I have no like I have no idea. Yeah. And all of those things, right? And so, and then of course, as an executive, you know, in my case. I ended up running, you know, gigantic multi-million dollar budgets. And I had like finance people and shit, right? And spreadsheets and everything, right? <laughs> well, guess what? You can't email me a spreadsheet. Now, if you sit down with me and walk me through the spreadsheet and I have questions and I can understand and I, I you know, listen, I'm not a dummy, but I can't, if you email me a spreadsheet, fucking forget about it, right? I don't even <laughs> open it anymore. And so I guess my point is, um, I, I don't know how your life can function if you're not sort of, to use your phrase, out as a dyslexic. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And, and I think it's so interesting that people that, you know, feel they have to hide it or, um, and a lot of that is, it's so interesting to me because a lot of people reach out to me from the, from the podcast in their 60s. And they'll be like, wow, like I'm just starting to kind of come to terms with this now. And I'm just starting to realize like I, I thought my whole life that I was stupid. And, and like, I realize now that that's not true. And that to me in one sense is so sad. And in one sense is so beautiful that they can realize now that, you know, it's a platform for them to, to, to feel that they belong and to feel that they, they're, they're not dumb. And so, um, you know, if, and I'll just put this, sort of phrase it how it is in my head and see how it is for you. Sure. You know, the way I look at it is, okay, so you learn that you're dyslexic and in my case, a little ADHD and certainly dyscalculia and looks like executive function disorder and maybe a sprinkling here and there of a smidge in a bipolar. You know, there's a lot going on, right? There's a lot <laughs> of different going on, right? Mm -hmm. So you learn those things about yourself um, and then... I think what there is to do is to a realize it's a gift, right? It mm -hmm. is a superpower. And now the mission, so to speak, is one, how do I seriously play to my strengths? You know, and at the risk of sounding immodest, I found a way to use my strengths in communication, in creativity, in, in what I would call top-down strategic thinking, in not certainly non-linear thinking because I can't even I don't even know what linear is right <laughs> those sorts of things so I figured out a way if you you know allow me the phrasing to understand my different embrace it and connect my different to the world in a way that was valuable right so if you say that's the mission in life and that's I think that's true whether you're dyslexic or you're whatever you are because mm -hmm, it's interesting mm -hmm. I think the thing that um for I think the thing that makes us unique is the thing that makes us interesting and powerful, whatever that thing is, right? Definitely. And it tends to be the irony about different is the thing that we tend to love about people are the things that make them unique, right? If you think about mm -hmm. the people that you love in your life the most, 
there's, there's, you say there's something special about them and special equals unique equals different, right? And so it's ironic to me that we live in a world that teaches us that what there is to do is fit in when in point of fact, the thing we tend to love the most is what makes people special and unique. And it's what makes us different that actually makes us connect. Anyway, that's a long way of saying, so how do I, as a, particularly as a young person, but really as any person, on one hand, empower my different and, and really um, make that superpower work for me. But yet again, at the same time, I, I have to deal with, um, you know, the gas station and I have to deal with the <laughs> traditional education system and I have to deal with the money in Japan or whatever, you know, all those things. And for me, we talk about them, but like there's a million of those things every day, right? Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, we've got to have a way to deal with our liabilities, which are very real and can be problematic at times. But yet at the same time, we have to channel what what our superpower is. How do we how do you think about those two things and balancing them? Yeah, well, I would say that um, my answer now, knowing my fiance is, is going to be very different than it would have been, you know, whatever, seven years ago. Um, she <laughs> she sees the 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 upside in everything. And, you know, I'll be like, oh, my God, our toilet's broken. And she'll be like, but we have a toilet. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) yeah, you're right. And so, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, and it's just so my point with this is that um, she has enabled me to see the humor in it. So oftentimes we'll be sitting down for dinner. And so she's like, so what funny thing did you do today? And I'm like, oh, you know, I was talking to this. I was on this business call and I went, wanted to say the word um, immediate. And I said the word intimate instead. You know, and we laugh about it. Um, and it was, you know, something that I would have found horribly embarrassing, something that I would have been just mortified about. I can just laugh at. And so now the gas station thing, I find it hilarious. I pull in and I will oftentimes circle around a gas station like three times before I can actually get to where I'm trying to get to. And I'm just chuckling at myself the whole time. Um, and so I think that that's a huge part of it is, is humor. Um, and, and seeing that, you know, in the grand scheme of life, it really doesn't matter that I circled the gas station three times. Um, and, uh, or, you know, whatever it is. So that, that's a big piece of it for me. And so I love that. And it's interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, this is not often a word I use to describe myself, but I'm adult enough to say it's really only been in the last little while that I'm able to laugh a lot more about stuff like that than be pissed at myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't just laugh about the dyslexic stuff that doesn't work. I, you know, if I don't catch a wave that I really wanted to catch, I, I'm much more apt today to laugh about it than to, than to curse about it. Right. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's sort of across a whole set of things. Um, so I, I think that's really good advice. It's like, you're either going to laugh or you're going to get angry or cry or, you know, those are probably the three choices. So laugh. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then the other one, I'm sort of curious. There's some things like, I'll give you a simple example. It takes me 15 minutes to get out of the house. It does. It just does. I don't, I'm not going to be able to find the keys and then I'm going to go to the car and then I'm going to remember that I forgot the thing. And, you know, like today's a perfect example. I, I went to my Pilates class this morning and I wanted to go pick something up on the way home. I don't, I don't have my, my money clip with me. I don't have any money. I'm, I'm driving around, no driver's license, no nothing. 
just <laughs> naked in the world with no you know identity in case the authorities come for me right and, so, <laughs> and 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 i'm you know there's a second where i'm pissed and then i just laugh it's like well yeah it's gonna take 15 minutes to get out the house uh and even still i'm gonna forget some shit and <laughs> and and so i guess my point is i budget the 15 minutes i i i try to teach myself sometimes i'm successful sometimes i'm not but i, I guess what I've tried to do over time is get real about some of those limitations and problems and, and to your point, have a little bit of a better sense of humor about it's ridiculous that it takes me so long to get out of the house. But <laughs> I'm curious, you know, how, how, so there's laughing and mm -hmm. then there's all those day in and day out, like, like filling the car up with gas that are sort of reoccurring areas of, uh, let's call them challenge for many of us. Mm -hmm. How do you think about those things? I think I understand your question. Um, I think that, I, well, I think for me, you know, I spent so much of my life hiding, trying to hide that I was different, trying to hide that I felt that I was stupid, trying to hide um, because I was terrified that my parents and anybody really who knew me would think of me different, wouldn't love me as much, um, all that kind of stuff. And so I think being able to look at the sort of like, okay, so it takes me three times to circle around the gas station or, you know, I can't do X, Y, and Z um, without taking longer. Sort of like, you know, the letting go of the things that I can't control because I can't control them. Um, there's a wonderful phrase. Um, I have no idea who came up with this. It was not me. Um, but um, somebody told me this and I just latched onto it because I loved it. And he's, his phrase was, it's booga booga. And basically you say booga booga whenever, you know, there's a situation that's something you can't control. And, uh, and it's great. And it's, and it just, you know, it makes you laugh and it's random. And, uh, and so it's like, oh, well, you know, I just, I, dropped my coffee booga booga like it's on the ground <laughs> like um you know whatever it is um just I'm, I'm not quite sure i understood quite what you meant by the question I, no, I think i think you got it which is just have a sense of humor and be aware of the fact that we are going to do that stuff that that um uh you know trying to trying to go to the self-checkout is not really an option for us right <laughs> like the one that freaks me out now um you know, I don't travel anywhere near as much as I used to, but uh, I, I was on a surf trip not long ago. And, you know, you land now, at least at SFO, and before you get through customs and immigration and stuff, you got to deal with, like, machines, right? And you got to shove your passport <laughs> in a machine and yeah. answer some questions and press some buttons and shit. And, like, I'm assuming that's, like, the form thing, because I don't know about you, but I got to stand in front of this machine. And I literally, you know, my, my friends and family are wonderful. They know, like... I can't stand in front of some fucking, you know, kiosk thing and make this work. Like, it would be a miracle, right? Like, I need help with this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, I get that. And I think that that goes back to the point earlier as far as wanting the world to better understand dyslexia because knowing that, that those are the types of things that people don't tend to link with dyslexia. But if you are at the airport and you see someone struggling, that could very well be what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, maybe let's get to kids, uh, you know, because you, you, you do a lot of work with kids, right? I do. And, and obviously parents to the get to the kids. And, <laughs> yes. And so, um, you know, what are the things that, that um, 
So I understand what you say to the parent in the, in the beginning. And then what are the things as you're working with kids and, and their parents and maybe other significant adults in their life, um, what are the kinds of things that you work on so that, you know, whether it's reading or math or all of the, you know, for me, sort of progressively going on from grade three, it just reading, math, science, chemistry, <laughs> geography, all that stuff got worse and harder as I went on. And so, you know, that's a, that's a, sl that's a, de a decline that's not fun, particularly when it starts in grade three. By the time you get to middle school, like you're starting to feel pretty shitty about yourself in those areas. And so how do you work with kids and the significant, their, their parents and their significant adults in their life as they go through, you know, unfortunately an education system that's very one size fits all? Absolutely. Well, I think you said that so well. I think the first thing is explaining that to them. Because when you're a kid and you aren't good at school, which is pretty much all when you're a kid that you're judged on and that, you know, sort of so much of your time is there. It's very easy to think that you're stupid, um, particularly when you see your peers and other people around you being able to to do things you can't. My sister learned to read at age three when I was five. She was sitting next to my mom. She would learn how to read upside down with the book I was holding. Um, you know, that was not a great thing for my confidence. Um, and, and I love my sister. Really? Um, I can't imagine but, why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, <laughs> so basically, the first thing is explaining that to a kid. It's like, look, you know, just because, yes, you know, you're in school right now. And yes, school is very one-sided. And this is the things that people have decided are very important but that's not how the whole rest of your life is going to be. So that's one big piece. Um, but the other piece for me is really zooming in on self-confidence because I really believe that, um, yes, if you are confident, it is not just going to make you all of a sudden a math whiz or make you be able to read. But if you have that inner confidence and you go and pick up that book and you're not shaking like a leaf and you're not feeling like a failure, that is a much better place to start from. So that's sort of my sort of aim at this. And, and also because sort of the personal side of, as I said earlier, just me, I know what it's like to feel dumb. And for years, and it was horrible. Um, and I had this sort of big kind of come to Jesus moment, which we can talk about in a second, um, that kind of changed how my thought process was. But I, for years, saw dyslexia very negatively. And, um, and so that's, that's my sort of big focus is self-confidence, building that up um, so that, you know, you have the courage uh, to raise your hand when you're not quite sure of the question. And, and it also follows through into other, you know, parts of your life. Um, you know, that it gives you the courage to make that shot on the basketball court or whatever it is. So, I mean, I'm nowhere near the expert that you are, but you and I, of course, share this. Mm -hmm. um, here's what my experience was, and I, as I as I talk to other dyslexics and and parents, um, essentially in school, as the doors of math and science and reading and all that are either shutting or certainly contracting, because <laughs> um, it's getting harder and the other kids are going forward and you're not moving as fast. All those things that you just described. Um, Yes, it can rock our confidence and it can it can rock our identity. It can rock our relationship with ourselves. Mm. And for me, you know, they didn't know what was going on. My mom didn't know what was going on. 
Um, I don't think it was very, very well known, you know, back in the 70s when I was a kid. But my mom, God bless her, is no dummy. And she she understood something was off. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, she also understood that I had some skills in these other areas. Mm-hmm. I was drawn to drama. I was ab- deeply drawn to music, uh, a little bit to art, but mostly music and drama. And I was really good at it, right? And I had this huge creative side. And so, uh, God bless Jackie, she found a school um, that was 50% music, art, and drama. <laughs> and it was a public school that, you know, we wouldn't have been able to afford a private school. So, um there's a whole other conversation I'm sure we can have about the, the public school system. But, um, and so the miracle of this school was just as those other traditional doors were shutting, she was able to put me in a place where the alternative doors, so to speak, that are much less emphasized, if, and in some schools, of course, they don't even exist anymore, where there, was these, there were these places I could shine. And I could, mm-hmm. I could, I could discover myself, and I could, I could sharpen that soup, those those sets of superpowers. And later on in life, those skills that I learned, being a musician, uh, being on stage, things like that, they did develop confidence. I was good at those things, and then I was able to parlay the confidence um, in those areas into a business and entrepreneurial career. And so, all that said, given that experience. What I try to be very mindful of with dyslexic kids or kids with any kind of a difference is can we find those areas, if other doors are, are, are truncating and, and, and closing, what are the doors that might be opening? Mm-hmm. And how do we do what um, Dr. Daryl uh, Treff, Treffert calls um, strength-based education? Where, yes, there's this core set of math you all need to learn, and there's a core set of geography you should understand, and et cetera, et cetera. But past some base level, does it really matter that, like, I can't do calculus? It, it fucking doesn't. And I tell <laughs> kids, and, you know, some parents don't like hearing this, there's not a test I failed or a class I skipped that mattered, right? Because <laughs> I had to go some alternative path. But anyway, all that said, what I'm very curious about is this sort of idea as, as, as one set of worlds are shutting or, 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 or narrowing, finding other areas for those kids to uh, have success and build that confidence. And I'm curious how you think about that and how you guide families through that. Absolutely. Well, I think oftentimes, um, I would say kids in general wouldn't say all just, you know, not just dyslexics, but they don't realize that they're kick awesome with the things they're kick awesome at. And so it's, it often takes someone else being like, well, wait a second, like you just f- figure out, for example, I was working with a kid the other day and while we were talking for, I don't know, maybe five minutes, you know, those, um, what are those called? Those, like those cube things with the different colors on it. What's that called? The, um, Rubik's, Rubik's cube. Rubik's cube. Yes. She did it. She's 11 <laughs> like in less than five minutes. And, you know, and she's just, and effortlessly, you know, she's talking to me and she's doing the thing and, and, uh, and I'm sitting there being like, whoa, like that is incredible. Um, and so I think that a lot of it is, is pointing that stuff out because, you know, when you're kind of good at something and you don't necessarily, particularly when you're a kid, you don't necessarily realize like, oh, I'm really good at this, but and don't realize that that's something that other people can't do. So that's sort of the first piece um, is 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 acknowledging it when when it's there. Um, but also too, I think that you know, for me, 
um, horseback riding, the barn, that was my out. Um, it was a place where I didn't feel stupid. It was a place that, you know, was I going to become an Olympic horseback rider? No. Um, but was I okay? Yeah. And so because I, and also too, like my horse, he wasn't, as long as I showed up and as long as I had carrots, he didn't care that I, you know, couldn't spell the word necessary. And then I had gotten, you know, failed that last math test. Um, so I think that- As long that, as you bring the carrots, Gibby. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, but it was a place where I felt like I belonged. And so for me, it's really important, not just finding the one or helping parents and kids, not just find the one thing that they're good at, but also finding the place that they feel included and, pl you know, the place that they feel they belong. Yes. It's so interesting. My buddy, Hal Elrod, God bless him. He shared this <laughs> thing with me that blew my mind, which is, um, when we first come into a new situation, you know, new social situation, new work situation, whatever it is, a situation with other human beings, <laughs> um, <laughs> what we're all trying to do is figure out how much of myself can I truly be here and mm. still make it work with this group of people, right? How much of my true self can I let out uh, and, and function effectively in this group, be accepted because as human beings, we want to fit into the tribe, right? We're pack animals, right? But I, I found that so interesting. Because we're, we're, I, I think he's right. You, you know, you think about a simple situation, you yeah. a party. You're like, well, can I uh, talk the way I normally talk around here? Or if I swear <laughs> like a pirate, am I going to be in a lot of trouble? You know, that's yes. the thing that's on my mind. Like I'm sort of <laughs> testing that water and, and various other things as well, right? Like, yep, yep. Uh, what kind of political beliefs do these people have? If people are talking about that stuff or... Whatever it is, right? Um, and so um, that's sort of what you're doing as a dyslexic in life, isn't it? Yeah, I love that. Um, I hadn't really thought about it in, in those terms exactly. But but yes, I think absolutely you test the water and you kind of dip your toe in and is this safe? Am I okay here? You know, can I show the fact that I, I, I can't do X, Y, and Z? So absolutely. Now, there's something about this strength-based idea I would love to tease out with you, which is I think there's another uh, sort of contextual paradigm in the world, whether it's explicit or not, it's certainly implicit, that says sort of you want to be a well-rounded person. And the interesting thing to me about that is legendary people are very far from well-rounded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. So, yep. you know, you and I were talking earlier about uh, Carrie Walsh and how much we love her. She's she, for a long time, she's probably more well-rounded now, but she's not a very well-rounded person because if you want to be a multi-time Olympic gold medal champion and be who she is, which is the greatest volleyball player of all time, um, guess what? There's a ton of shit you never get to focus on. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right? Yep. I like, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, like she doesn't she doesn't like to swim very much. She doesn't go in the ocean very much, right? Like you know, she spends her whole time on the beach. Well, she's on the beach playing volleyball. She's not swimming. Right. right. So I don't think she surfs either. It's like at first I found that curious, but it's like, well, yeah, because she's busy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, the interesting thing about dyslexics is, uh, at least my experience and with myself and uh, talking to so many of us, is 
there's a small set of areas where we can truly shine and different by person, of course, but we tend to be uh, very dis disweighted, if that's even a phrase, right? We have huge skills and capabilities in a set of areas over here, and we have like massive deficiencies. And I think what happens to many of us, it certainly happened to me for a while before I said, wait a minute, this is completely wrong, was I tried to learn how to read spreadsheets better. And, and, and you look, I've gotten incrementally better at that stuff over time, but I had this aha, you know, in my mid to late 20s, which was like, no, no, I want to be world-class at a couple of things. You know, so in the domain of marketing, it became very clear to me, you know, as a marketing leader that I was going to suck at a whole bunch of operational shit. <laughs> I'm not a great detail manager. As a matter of fact, I'm a tear, I'm a disaster, right? <laughs> So if you need somebody who's going to be the COO of marketing or who's going to run this thing from a spreadsheet point of view and all that, you need somebody else. My superpower is in strategy and particularly over time, I, it got clear to me what that meant, designing and dominating categories, right? <laughs> so I, that became my superpower and it's very, very narrow, right? And then there was a few other things that I used to support that. We'd talk about if it matters. But my point is, um, I think this is true for many legendary people. And my personal experience is that it sort of almost has to be true uh, with those of us with learning differences is that there's going to be a small area where we are truly stand out. And what there is for us to do to be successful in our careers, but even in just our own skin, <laughs> is to learn how to be legendary at a smaller number of things and cut ourselves a lot of slack and get the help that we need on, you know, let's say we're legendary on 20% of our life, the 80% that we're not, let's just get some help with that, hopefully have people understand us around that. And also, most maybe most importantly, and I'm just riffing out loud with you here, give ourselves a big laughing break on that. But <laughs> I'd be curious how you think about this sort of disproportionality, if that's even a word. Yeah, I don't know if it is, but it is now. Um, yeah, I, I love that. I think that that's it's so accurate. And I think that that's you know, that's exactly not what, how school is set up at all. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there's such a big, a big gap there, but I think that that is so important to, to, to show kids that and to, to make sure that, um, you know, that that's understood. Cause I think it's so, it's so easy for, someone to get so discouraged because they can't see how it's like, okay, well, yes, you know, I, I can, I can put together a Rubik's cube in five seconds, no problem. Okay. But I still can't, you know, I can't do X, Y, and Z math problem. Um, and, and that's sort of where, where the discussion kind of ends and where it's, you know, in their head. And so, yeah, coming along and, and showing that, I think, I think that that's dead right. And I think there's so many examples that to, to pull on of legendary people. Um, but no, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that it's a really important conversation to have, particularly with kids. And so one of the crazy things to me about the way schools set up, my, my understanding is, you know, most elementary schools, most middle schools, most high schools, they have a 45 minute to hour long period yes cl class mm -hmm. and you go to what five classes a day what or six whatever it is right yep and they're each 
about an hour. So you start your first class at 9 or 8.30 or whatever it is, right? And you, you go to math class, and then you go to geography class, and then you go to chemistry class. And then, and I look at that now, and I go, are you, uh, are you mental? I mean, I'm no education <laughs> expert. God knows. I don't even play one on TV. So what do I know? But my own personal experience is that when somebody gets into a topic and they're working on something and they're getting focused on it, whether it's a math problem or a painting in art class or whatever it is, it, it, it takes 10 or 15 minutes to sort of even get into some kind of a flow with the thing. And then when you're in the flow, you tend to want to hang out there for a while. And so it just, the structure of it seems crazy to me. Um, point A and point B that we would hit so many topics every day and so in a strength-based model don't we want an education system where and look I don't know what's right I'm not an educator but like where 30% of what the kid does or or in my case 50% of what the kid did are are more in areas where that kid can truly shine have a chance at being you know good or great or maybe even world-class you know, if you think about somebody who's got musical talent, well, if you show musical talent and you're eight years old, what would be the harm in having, I don't know, 30% of the that child's day around those musical things? They may not become a musician, but to your point on confidence, they will experience themselves shining and prospering and succeeding in a way, if they're like you and I, math class is never going to do that for us. And I'm not saying <laughs> we never go to math class. But what I am saying is, wouldn't we begin to, if a child shows um, an attraction, a talent, a, a draw, or whatever you want to call it to certain areas, we would begin to over-rotate to those areas and see how the child evolves. And maybe you rotate back. I don't know. But what I do know is it seems crazy to take six subjects that are different, um, you know, every day and only and spend an hour on them and keep going. Mm. Absolutely. I, I'm trying to remember the country. I want to say Sweden. I was just reading an article the other day um, of a school that has no curriculum and no classes. And it's very, it's totally structured in what the, each individual kid's interests are. And, um, and it was so interesting because they, they were listing some of the, the things that the kids were studying. And one of them was studying Harry Potter. <laughs> And, and I loved it because it was, you know, um, something that, and yes, you know, there was still some structure, but um, there was, it was interesting too, because they, one of their first projects was that each kid was given a desk and then they could design it and um, decorate it however they wanted. And, you know, one kid decided that he wanted the front of a car on his desk. And so he, you know, communicated with a local mechanic and, you know, auto body shop and got, and got it. And when they went to bring it to him, it was too heavy and it wouldn't, it was too big and too heavy for the elevator. So they had to go back to the drawing board, you know, and so it was just so neat because it's like, okay, that's something that you would never find in a quote unquote traditional school system. Yet the amazing lessons and the creativity that was allowed there. So if I'm a, you know, parent or an adult in a child's life uh, who is in this situation and I'm, you know, and I'll, I'll use these, these words on purpose to be maybe, maybe a little overly dramatic. I'm trapped in the sort of traditional school system. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a child who's got skills in whatever of these sort of other areas are. Um, 
how do I, you know, what do I do? Do I, do I find after school programs or do I find summer camps or how do I think about, uh, beginning to support the child in the areas where they're showing real strengths to begin to help them double down on those strengths and not be so well-rounded and be a little more <laughs> focused in areas there where they can succeed. Yeah. Well, I think it's twofolded. I think on the one side, um, you know, if you have the um, flexibility or, you know, option to switch schools, you know, there are many schools that are designed for dyslexics. And, you know, of course, they're not going to be like, okay, you're interested in soccer. That's all you get to do. Um, but having an environment where your brain is treasured, where you're looked at um, from a positive angle is a certainly great place to start. But then also the other piece of it is, I mean, my parents were wonderful about this. I could spend as much time at the barn as I wanted, you know, within reason a little bit, but um, that was pretty much where I wanted to spend all, all my free time. And as long as my homework was done, they, they were cool with that. Um, and so I would spend hours after school, hours on the weekends. Um, and so I think that a lot of it just comes down to, it's like trying to make that an option um, and, and physically giving you that time and then supporting you. I, I mean, it, I, was, I was able to compete. Um, my parents bought me a horse when I was 16. Um, you know, so I think there's, there's many ways to be supportive um, with whatever the interest is. But the main thing is, is to have the encouragement and, and, you know, sometimes a parent will contact me and be like, you know, my kid is the only thing my kid is interested in is video games. And, um, and I'm sort of like, okay. And they're like, but you know, like that's all that, that they'll do. And it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe then they're really good at, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it, it's that, okay, maybe yes, <laughs> they're not going to play video games their whole life, but those are some skills, um, that they can apply to something else. So I think I would also say that to not put any judgment on whatever they're interested in. Um, maybe it's something weird to you. Maybe it's something not common. Um, but if that's what they're interested in, if that's sort of, you know, what lights them up or that, you know, they're, and that they're really drawn to you and that they're really good at, um, then go for it. Well, and Hey, you never know. I found this out. Uh, I don't know. A year or so ago, I had no idea about this. There are absolutely legitimate colleges, maybe not Stanford and Harvard, but like real schools mm -hmm. that, uh, have, and I'm going to use the, I think this is the phrasing they use, um, full <laughs> academic scholarships for quote, Esports athletes. So, okay. How do you like that for a, a category re-swizzle on video game kid, right? Yes. But, but today there are arenas that get filled with people watching people play video games. And so these are these people are now called esports athletes. And who knows? Maybe your kid's really good at a video game. They'll get a free college ride. <laughs> there you go. I love that. <laughs> I'm so gonna start telling that to people now. That's great. Yeah, maybe you should. You know, look. It doesn't sound like my idea of what I would want my kid to do. But you know, maybe maybe don't kill yourself or the kid over it. Maybe they're gonna go to some you know real school and it'll be free. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gibby, is there anything else you'd like to touch on? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, I think um, two things. One is I, I don't, I, I know when I listen to a podcast, when someone alludes to something and they don't go back to it, I, like, I'm like, oh, come on, I wanted to know. So, um, so I will quickly say I 
it's sort of my come to Jesus moment. I, I used to, as I said, I used to think of dyslexia so negatively. And, um, and I was, I hired a business coach. Um, I'm a massage therapist by trade, um, sort of turn sort of dyslexia advocate and, and uh, confidence coach. But, um, and so I hired a business coach to Where's help me down for you. <laughs> yes. Uh, what yes. we're looking for is a massage therapist who's a dyslexia advocate and 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 coach <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> by the way i um, love the new uh i was checking out your website and i i love the cartoon character version of you um, oh thank you <laughs> but i also i love the new photo on your homepage of you and your your uh your cape <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's you should have seen endearing. the person <laughs> Thank you. Um, you should have seen the person's face. She was very good about it. But when I walked into JCPenney Photography and was like, so I need pictures of me in this cape. Um, <laughs> she was kind of like, uh, okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, but no, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. We, uh, she was a really good sport about it. Um, but yes, no, I, um, you know, because I really do think it's a superpower. And I think when I um, work with kids, I put that cape on and I run around the room. We all run around the room. Um, and uh, and a huge part of the project, you know, that we're doing is each kid gets their own cape and they can decorate it if they want to or not and in um, the colors that they want. Because um, I do think that that's, that's really important to, to own that. Um, but and it's so great. It never gets old. You know, the kid puts on the cape and it's a mask if they want to or a tiara if they want to. And then their, their face is just like, yes, <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing how much confidence um, those, those sort of items of clothing can give and, and really start to have a kid sort of really kind of own, own how awesome they are. But I totally digressed. But um, well, I like, listen, <laughs> if there's one person in the world you can have digressions. With. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's great. I can swear, too, which is fabulous. <laughs> As much as you like. <laughs> I guess in your job, you probably don't do much swearing, do you? I try really hard not to, but I'm a little bit of a sailor. So, yeah, I have to. There's definitely been times where I've uh, I've almost, I have said shit in front of a couple of kids before. It was like, uh-oh, oh, I'm going to in trouble. In my world, that doesn't um, even count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you say to someone's 11-year-old, not necessarily <laughs> But, uh, but it's so funny because they'll, they'll often be like, you said a bad word. I'm like, yes, I did. Oops. Um, but anyways, so, um, yeah, so I, so I hired this business coach and I, um, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was sort of like, I'm making this up as I go along and I, I have this practice and it's doing okay, but like, I'd love to do more. And what do I do? And anyway, so I hired her and, um, we were on the phone and she had sent, or she was talking about a, um, progression and it had, um, it was nine steps and I had to get it in the right order. And it was had a, the nine steps of sort of having a very successful conversation to encourage a client to rebook after a session. So she goes through them and then she goes, okay, well, like let's role play. And she's expecting me to be able to look at this list and immediately be able to apply it. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't remember the order. I kept like mumbling and I couldn't even remember all nine steps. And it was just this giant mess. And for the first time ever, I started panicking because I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to think I don't care. She's going to think that I'm not paying attention. She's going to think that I'm not really trying. And so for the first time 
ever, I outed my dyslexia. And I said, you know, I'm not getting this. It's because I'm dyslexic. And um, I was expecting her to say, okay, I totally understand. Like, what do you need? Which I would have said, I need time. I can learn this. I can do this. But I have all these different ways in which I know how my brain will absorb the information. One of them is singing. Um, or I'll make a story out of it. You know, I have all these things. And so I was like, I was, that's what I thought she was going to say. How can I help you? No problem. I'm so sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Well, instead, <laughs> she goes, wow, that is fantastic. And that makes so much sense because of your success as an entrepreneur. And she launches into this whole thing about how dyslexia is a positive and how that's just so great. And um, it was a really good thing that we were on the phone because I could have punched her. I was, I mean, it was like to the level of someone with cancer, you know, you've just been told that your cancer is positive. It's a good thing. I mean, it was so infuriating to me, but I really respected her. And so I'm trying to find that balance of like, I can't believe what you're saying and you're not dyslexic. So you don't know. So she was praising you and sort of celebrating you, but you were pissed off. I was so pissed off. <laughs> I was beyond reaction. pissed off. <laughs> um, yeah, and because I really saw it as a death sentence. And I had seen, like, it was like, no, this has plagued me my whole life. This is not a positive. And, uh, and she kept insisting. And then she started listing all the famous and successful dyslexics she knew. And, um, and she's going on and on. And, and I'm just getting madder and madder. And I'm trying really hard. And I'm, you know, contemplating like do I just disconnect the call do I say that my phone died like what do I do like oh my god um and I'm sort of mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and I'm trying not to say much because yeah there's like smoke coming out of my ears and so we end the call and I you know I thank her for her time which you know didn't really feel like <laughs> it was uh, um that honest to say but anyway so we end the call and um for the next couple of weeks it just kept bugging me it was like sort of angel and devil on my shoulders it was like the one hand it was like you know, how dare you think this is a positive? Like, this has been horrible. Think of all the things um, that it has done to you. And it was just this fight back and forth. And so she, that conversation kind of started the ball rolling down the hill for me. And um, I then eventually, I was um, in my office and where I'm sitting right now, actually, and I out loud, I was like, fine. And I slammed my fist down on the table. And it was sort of a moment where I was like, okay, I'll look into this. So I Googled positives of dyslexia. And I was thinking, you know, that I was going to find total fluff and nothing really that great. And what was interesting to me, I found this site, this great site, Nessie.com. And I'm looking at it and looking at all their, their list of the, all these positives. And they, I'm reading one after another after another. And I'm reading all my favorite traits about myself. My tenacity, my thinking outside the box, like all this stuff. And it was like, oh my gosh. And in that moment, it was like, wow, dyslexia. Yes, okay. As we talked about, you said at the beginning, like, you know, yes, for sure, there are some real challenges to it. And that's all I could focus on before. And then when I was looking at this list, it was like, oh my goodness, there are all these amazing positives too. And, and it was sort of this accumulation of like, wow, it's both. Um, and so to me, when I sort of figured that out, it was like, wow, I need to shout this on the rooftops. Like, holy cow. You know, and it's so funny. Uh, what makes us legendary is also what makes us a loser, right? Our strength is our weakness. It's just mm -hmm. it's just that yin-yang. It's the duality of life. It's just, I don't know, it, it's poetically uh, awesome. I don't know. It's just, it's, there's something poetic about it. Um, the other thing I want to say to you, just it makes me mad that dyslexia is called dyslexia. 
Because, <laughs> A, it's not exactly easy to say. And I don't know about you. Or I can't spell. spell it. <laughs> no. I can't spell it. You can't spell it? No, 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 no. I can't spell it either. I, and, and I'll typically write it like five different ways when I try and spell it. No, I, I think it's a cruel joke. I really do. It is a totally cruel joke. And I don't, do you know who came up with the word? No, I don't know. Well, here's maybe we should write them know. a letter. <laughs> they were not fucking dyslexic because no. if they were, we would have called, it would have, it would be three letters. It would be called like Ted. Yes, exactly. Or something super simple, you know. Or one letter, called... just D. <laughs> exactly. Or A B C. Or yeah, but I like yes. D. I got D. Yes. Right. That that we can spell D. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, probably can't remember which way you know when we're running a lowercase, which way it goes. But <laughs> um, I find that yes. fascinating that the gal who was telling you how awesome your dyslexia is and that ex explains why you're such a great gal and this and that and the other that just pissed you off for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. I but I owe her so much, you know. I really do, and I think if there if it wasn't for that, I you know would still be doing massage therapy full-time um you know all kidding aside there is something very profound in what you say i was having a conversation with a buddy of mine and he said to me he said here's what i love about a lot of your podcast conversations he said you know if you think about most self-helpy shit or most how to be an awesome entrepreneur or marketing person or how to have a great you know all the worlds in which the discussions I have touch. He said, for the most part, um, they're either super tactical, go do this thing, which is fine. Or when you hear Carrie Walsh Jennings, for the most part, <laughs> we disassociate from her. We say, oh, well, right next to her spleen is this organ called legendary at volleyball. <laughs> Clearly, I don't have that organ, so pass me a beer. Right. And, and and so I listened to the standard and I'm going to use this word on purpose interview, which is not what happens around here. Um, and I can disassociate myself. And I can say, oh, she's awesome. End of discussion. But when she has a conversation here with me, we learn some things like, oh, she's just like us. Mm. And what he said to me is when you learn somebody like Bill Walton or you know, Carrie Walsh Jennings or whoever is, has the same struggles and the same problems and, and, and has had some failings. And when, the, when those sorts of people that we look up to like that are humanized, it's confronting. And the reason it's confronting is because what you learn is, well, if Carrie can do it, maybe I can too. <laughs> and so to get back to your situation, was that the upset? It was like, no, no, your whole time you've known you were dyslexic, you thought it was a bad thing. I'm telling you it's a good thing. And the truth is what really sits underneath that is if it's a good thing, then you, Gibby, have to do something about having this gift that you have because you thought it was a liability. I just told you it was an asset. You don't get to blame whatever failures or shortcomings or whatever on this thing, now you gotta live up to having the superpower as opposed to being able to rest on uh, a liability. And there's something confronting when you realize that you have an opportunity to do something legendary with your life and maybe you haven't been. So all that said, is that what was going on? Is that why you felt that way? 
I think a piece of it, yes. I think that, you know, I think, I think that was sort of the second piece of mm. what happened um, as far as, yeah, like, oh, well, shit, now I have to own this. Um, for sure. And I think, yeah, I think I did. Um, I think there was a piece of me, and I think the other piece of it was that um, I think I was just so used to, it was sort of like so used to sort of being like, oh yeah, that's just, just that, that's just my old purse, you know, that's, that's raggedy and it's falling apart and blah, blah. And then all of a sudden somebody disclosed that actually it's Mary Poppins handbag and anything that I want is going to come out of it. Um, and, you know, an umbrella or, you know, what, what did she, um, a coat rack or, you know, a plant. Um, and so I think that it was just sort of like, a lot of it was just total disbelief. So yes, owning it was a sure, but I think a lot of it was just like, wait a second, like that was just an ordinary purse. Like what? <laughs> um, so for sure. And then I think too, like I spent so many years hiding who I was. And so then I had to go through a period, I'm still working on this, of giving myself permission to, to be me um and to own it and and to just and even now like i find myself i <laughs> sort of laugh at myself but I, I see this a lot with my podcast is i'll have an idea oh it'll be great to do this and then i'll be like oh no like that's not gonna uh, and i'll sit on it for a while and then usually something happens where you know something that reminds me sort of like the booga booga thing you know like that something where i will be like you know like a major disaster happens i'm like man like these people just lost their homes or lost their lives or whatever like i can grow a pair and do x y and z um and so that kind of fuels me and so for example like i i wanted to um one of the things i do with kids a lot is we do would you rather questions um you know would you rather um fly on a magic carpet or on the back of a whale um and uh and so it's just kind of a great icebreaker and they love it and so i have you know they come up with all these ones all the time and i was like you know it'd be so great if i took these and i asked my podcast guests because they're fun and silly and um and then i thought oh well that's you know that's not very professional and it's kind of went you know and uh and that and then you know, some, some disaster happened and I was like, this is silly. Like I'm the boss, like I can do what I want. Um, so I think that there's, and it's so far, it's been super well received. Um, and even if it wasn't, I'm having fun doing it. Um, <laughs> so, but I think that that's, I think that's a piece of it too, of like, okay, hang on a minute. Like I, she's given me sort of, she showed me that the door, you know, that I thought was bolted shut is, is absolutely, you know, is wide open and all I have to do is walk through it. Um, so, yeah, I think that just allowing myself, like, okay, this is who I am, and that is not just okay, but that is awesome. Yeah. Well, bless you, Gibby. Uh, I love everything about what you're doing. I love that you uh, decided to do this with your life, and I think uh, I think you're a, a gigantic inspiration to many of us dyslexics. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I was really honored. I, uh, how we met, I, I asked, I had no idea really who you were, <laughs> which is sort of funny, but I saw a video, um, of you talking about your dyslexia on YouTube and was like, Oh, I got to ask him if he'll go on my podcast and, um, I had so much fun, fun with talking to you. So I really appreciate it. I don't know if I expressed that, but I really appreciated that you doing that. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. I'll come back anytime. And, you know, I was glad you asked me. I didn't hesitate for five seconds. You sent that note. I looked at your website. I was like, I, I get who this gal is. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Gibby. 
And uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. Stay legendary. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Take care. There she is, a gal that I find incredibly inspiring, uh, Gibby Booth Jasper. And I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, if it's time for you to get growing in your business, you got to stay on top of your key numbers and your key metrics. And that's where my friends at NetSuite come in. NetSuite is the number one company in cloud ERP, the one unified business management suite that encompasses ERP, financials, CRM, and e-commerce for more than 16,000 growing companies. Interestingly, in 2018, 90% of the companies that went public run their business on NetSuite. And that's because NetSuite allows you to do business anywhere around the globe, managing multi-currency and multinational operations. And um, you can have different regional and global business consolidations and roll-ups, and you can conduct commerce around the globe with multi-language and multi-currency capabilities, of course, in an omni-channel way. And that's why NetSuite is number one in the cloud, the number one platform for growth businesses. So check out netsuite.com slash different today. And while you're there, you'll be able to set yourself up for a free one hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Check out netsuite.com slash different. All right. We would like to thank the awesome podcast. Dyslexia is a superpower with our friend and today's guest, Gibby Booth Jasper, available anywhere and everywhere you get legendary uh, podcasts. Uh, the number one bestseller by our friend and guest on episode 33 of Follow Your Different, Bruce Cleveland, his book, The Traction Gap, hit number one. And uh, there's a reason The Traction Gap is number one. Pick up a copy. And while you're picking up a copy of The Traction Gap, you know what makes a really good um, uh, a counter to it or, or, or addition to it? HarperCollins Instant Classic Play Bigger, how pirates, dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets. I want to remind you, my friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org, we're having our annual conference in October uh, 2019 in beautiful Long Beach, California. You can bring the whole family as you work on dreaming and planning and living your best life. And for more information, you can go to the number one, LifeFullyLive.org slash C Lockhead. Now, if you're one of uh, the many, one of the millions maybe, <laughs> listening in Australia, our friends at Rapid Media want to help you do legendary marketing, media, and communications in Australia at rapidmedia.com.au. Another book to check out, my friend, our most uh, reoccurring guest, if that's even a phrase in proper English, I don't know, I didn't go to school, Dushka Zapata and her best-selling book, How to Be Ferociously Happy and Other Essays. And the amazing folks at Kiva.org, microfinance loans to entrepreneurs in the developing world. If you want to make a difference to entrepreneurs, check out kiva.org today. All right, today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes, and this podcast is a sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love it if you decided to share it. Make no mistake, you sharing this podcast is the number one way we grow, so if you get value, why not tell some people about it? All rights do remain perturbed. Uh, we need to warn you that this podcast is highly flammable. Uh, flammable? Flammable. Uh, be nice to your mother. Support your local dyslexics. Don't forget to buy John's Crazy Socks at johnscrazysocks.com. Be a podcast legend. 
It's amazing to me how many people still don't listen to podcasts or, in some cases, haven't really heard much about podcasts. So introduce two people you love, two podcasts you love. And if they're an iOS user and they have Siri enabled, you can literally just say, Hey, Siri, subscribe to Christopher Lockhead, follow your different, and she'll set them up. Listen to the Ramones. Don't forget, chewing out a rhythm on my bubble gum. The sun is out and I want some. Only buy pasture-raised, free-range eggs. Thank you, Dandy Candy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, the Sodcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Marcus Rust, CEO of Roseacre Farms. Sorry, Marky. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you investing part of your life with us. Uh, stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your difference.